was like a demented mole there. He just burst through the defense. Just watch this. Looking back on Ireland's uh, opening day win with the miraculous drop goal by Johnny Sexton, did that uh, last-minute piece of heroics paper over the cracks, uh, cover a multitude of sins, do you think? Or do you think that we would be looking a gift horse in the eye to mix our metaphors uh, if we were saying that, oh, we should have won handsomely in Paris when we've only done it three or four times since 1972? Yeah, he has the better of the match. There's no doubt about that. And I think Ty Furlong turning over the ball in the 22 was a real turning point because it gave them a huge amount of confidence and it exposed our attacking limitations. That said, uh, France hardly threw a punch. They didn't create anything bar that counter-attack, which was with their reserve halfbacks. And Teddy Tama, who's you know a bit dodgy, really, at international level, but it's absolutely super quick. And it's sort of a reminder of how many good players France have. So that, but I, I thought we deserved to win in the balance of play, but I didn't think we were going to win with uh, when he was putting the ball down to take that penalty. Yeah, I think you also have to credit France with their enormous tackle total and their enormous completion rate. I think the most tackles in the history of a single game in the Six Nations and the 94% uh, tackle count. You know, you can argue that Ireland made it easy for them by continually running into them um, uh, but you know you have to you have to be there to make those tackles and the other thing I thought that France were a sensation at was competing at the breakdown consistently with one or two players um, getting over the ball and being really difficult to move Nigel Owens took a lot of a lot of stick for not uh, getting forcing French players to roll away some that was completely legit stick but other times they were just hard to move off the ball, you know. Uh, so while we had a very, very high percentage of rooks won, uh, we, we didn't have an awful lot of very good rook ball. I think that Joe Schmidt's word, which he imported in France of man up a uh, a direct translation from the French of man up a like that's what the pro 14, or the, the, sorry, the top 14 is now. It's a lot of big men running into other big men. Very, very physical. To me, looking at France, particularly when you go to the matches, um, is just how poor their centres are at passing, how poor their midfield is at passing, which is shocking having grown up watching French backs score just scintillating tries. But even like French under-21 teams being really, really comfortable, you know, when there was an under-21, being really, really comfortable on the ball. So it was wet when it was wet in Paris. I got a text at about 45 minutes before kickoff saying how wet it was, it was cold, it, it was difficult to play expansive rugby in those conditions. So we were we were reduced to playing that. I'd say that one of the things about our runners and possibly because the French were so physical is that it was pretty obvious who seemed to be getting the ball. Um, I don't think Schmidt wants Murray to break and act as a decoy um, and maybe put the defence on their heels and then pick out a pass. I think he wants Murray just to keep moving the ball 
and everything to come off Sexton. Yeah, we play but off ten all the time. We play off ten. We always, under Schmidt. We always do. Like it wasn't just Sexton when uh, Madzer was when Madigan was at ten. We played everything off Madigan and, and nothing off um, Murray. Even though Murray's obviously the senior partner in that combination. Um, but we're very predictable and we're, we're kind of underpowered in some positions. Like I think James Ryan was really impressive carrying. I thought, and he, he really made an effort to get low. Uh, you could see him taking one ball and like just getting his head beneath his hips and legging as fast as he could into someone's knee, but getting over the gain line with it. I thought uh, Henderson, who always looks tired after two minutes, showed up with some incredible carries, none more so in injury time when everybody was absolutely shattered. Uh, Keane got on the ball and was really energetic. Uh, Stander as well. Stander. Stander's as brave as a lion, but he's really small compared... He's not really small, but he's he's pretty small compared to the French without having that sort of athleticism. And like he, he just keeps on showing up. It's, it's incredible. He's he's so willing just to just to get physical and... and all the way through the match, but he doesn't make a huge he doesn't make a huge dent in in teams. Like compare him to Billy Vunapola or Kieran Reed or even Sergio Parisi in his mid thirties. Like there's there's a lot of good or Toby Falatel, like there's a lot of good number eights. And like like I said, like CJ CJ is admirable and you'd love to have him on your team, but it's it's a really demanding role when you're looking at top class internationals play because that idea of a man up with on French just lap that up. So I thought we deserved to win, but uh, my God, what an incredible uh, series of plays from Johnny Sexton to drop out so accurately to put a cross kick, such nerve to execute the cross kick. Great catch by Earls. Earls been on fire um, since Christmas time, probably beforehand, but certainly he just looks so sharp. And then just an outstanding drop goal from Sexton. Yeah, the judgment is as well of um, of the the. The two, the second two kicks, the cross kick and the drop goal itself, when to realise that we weren't getting any further and that not to dwell on it for one or two extra phases, just to say, we're not getting any further in our own half, I have to go wide. And then we're not getting any further up the pitch, I have to take uh, my, my shot at a drop of goal. And then to complete both of those actions so perfectly, it was outstanding. It was one. It was one. Of, one of the best moments I've seen in sport. Um, Jesus, ever. It was like Italian ninety where I watched it. The place went nuts. It seems when we're talking about this Ireland game, everyone is listing off a lot of players who played well and giving mentions to players who played well. But ultimately, we didn't even come close to scoring a try. And do you think the team actually played well? And do you think we have to look at the way? that Schmidt is uh, sort of forcing the team to kind of go down the middle and retain possession as their as one of their most important tactics. Do you think that's a... Do you think that's... It's a legitimate criticism to say that maybe we should have played differently? Well, it'll be interesting to see how the other teams... I think they were a bit better place to judge after two more games, see how other teams do against France. Especially one other game just to see how they do against France when they're playing in Paris because... I thought that that French team looked fitter than any French team I've seen. Uh, they seem to have got rid of a number of the really heavy set guys like Debati, Uni Antonio, Maestri, Matthew Bastero especially, and they looked extremely fit. You know, the French teams aren't renowned for their fitness. They're supposedly very lax on their 
on their diet especially and, and diet and of smokes <laughs> diet of smokes and carry a lot of smokers still it's, remember <laughs> we know somebody who met them out after uh, at, at, at uh, the post-match dinner and, and was surprised by how many of their Fords were smoking and not just just with a few drinks like that they smoke all the time um, but they looked fitter um, they looked fitter than they've than they've ever been and they're incredibly physical um, so I think they'll be a really really difficult team to beat in Paris and I think you know we it would be better place to judge Ireland's performance once another once Wales especially or or England play France and then we can see how good France are when we talk about Joe Schmidt sending his team up the middle I think part of that is the team that he picks so his hands are pretty much tied um, in a lot of positions and talking about fitness like so Bundy Aki there, there was a picture of Bundy jumping up in the air after Sexton's and it was a it was a brilliant photo like Aki's got an incredible smile but it also struck me man he is a huge guy like He's really, really wide, and you know how thick he is from watching him bust through tackles and playing in the Pro 14 for Connacht, like how strong he is. But I don't think he's fit. I don't think he's as fit as he was two seasons ago. And I think he's a guy that really needs to work on his aerobic fitness. And it just puts me in mind that when Ringrose made the breakthrough and then he was, he was followed very closely by Carberry and now this season, Larmer, a lot of guys worry about, oh, are they are they big enough? Like, can they survive in the international game? And, you know, maybe, you know, Ringrose is injured, Carberry's just coming back from injury and Larmer's obviously arguably too light just at the moment. In, so, not to contradict myself, but those guys are all really fit, whereas a guy like Bundy has to, like I think he could do with losing a few pence just to get back to the standard that he was two seasons ago. And like we were saying about the French guys, um, they've they've gone with a fitter team, but Carney was the, ob- Carney's the obvious one for me, that he, he dropped one ball straight out where he's meant to be really, really solid under the ball. He got tripped over and jumped up in the air or got taken out. But, I mean, the referee went back, had a look at it and said there was nothing in it. And that was another bouncing ball. And then he bit in when he was the last man for Teddy Thomas's try. And neither himself or Stockdale are convincing tacklers. Like, he, obviously, they're professional rugby players. They can both do it if it's put in front of them. But, like, Johnny, Se- or Johnny sorry, Robbie Henshaw goes looking to make tackles. Like, Robbie Henshaw is just a superb defender. And he's the sort of guy that you'd love to play with, whereas Stockdale's pretty poor. Uh, even in the first few minutes, he slid over Teddy Thomas. You could see that being given as a high tackle with a stricter referee. And then he just stood on his heels with Thomas coming through. But really, the damage was done to Rob Kearney. So, to my mind, we need to pick Joey Carberry at fullback sooner rather than later to give ourselves two options, two distributing options. Because... When you look at what well, I certainly thought with England, whenever Ford and Farrell combined, it was really, really dangerous. The, those two guys give England so much cutting edge and so much football that I think even if one of them is missing, England just are, I was saying not just, but they're a team of huge men and they're going to batter you into submission. But with those two guys combining, it, it, it ties everything together. And I, I think that we have the option to do it and I'd go for it as soon as I possibly could. So you'd pick Joey at 15 rather than as a sub-10? Absolutely. And Particularly to play the Italians. If you don't do it playing the Italians, I don't know when you do it. 
and particularly in this Six Nations. So it's 2018, there's this Six Nations, there's a Tour to Australia, there's another Six Nations, there's a World Cup. And I don't see Robert getting any better. Like he's had a plethora of injuries, but all the same errors that he's making now, he's just going to make more and more of them. Whereas having two guys in there who can distribute gives our wingers more chance of getting the ball. The, the guys who were most likely to score for Ireland at the weekend were the two wings because they're really, really hot. Stockdale is full of confidence going forward and Earls is in the form of his career. Most of the countries play their second distributor at 12. Would you consider playing Carberry there? No. Lack of size? Lack of familiarity with the position, lack of size. I don't think you need to... How much play. familiarity does he have with 15, though? Well, he played most of last season there for Leinster. Uh, he survived an international against Australia. I think he's. I think the season that he got last year, playing in that second receiver role, uh, will definitely have benefited. And I think you have to bite the bullet and just get him on the pitch. Like, if you've got Johnny Sexton as your starting 10, you're not going to... You're not going to put pressure on him. He's, he's too good to... He'll see off pretty much anybody in the world. Never mind, like, the next best in Ireland. So I think you just have to get Carberry on the pitch. Do you think putting Carberry as the um, 15 rather than 10 might mitigate against uh, his lack of size? For example, like, he puts himself in the firing line by taking the ball so flat, and against Fiji, he got absolutely destroyed because of it. I think that's a good point. You know, the other thing as well is if you look uh, slightly outside of rugby union, just look at how well the the Maroons play, the Queens and Maroons, and they've got a backline full of small guys. Um, Cooper Cronk, especially Jonathan Thurston. You know they have Billy Slater. Billy Slater. Uh, they had Lockyer until yeah, they had Lockyer. Years. Cameron Smith. I don't think any one of them is even six feet tall. Um, and they play an even tougher code than than Test Rugby. Um, <clears throat> now, you have to be a very, very tough guy to do it, and you have to be technically good as well. But I think there's... You can be technically good and tough at the same time. You can look at it... It's slightly more risky. It looks more risky when you look at Joey with... Um, two two starts or whatever is compared to Robert with 65, 70 starts. And, and Joey, Joey is, he does look slight. But as a, as a tackler, he's technically good. Um, and he's brave. And he is a good distributor who can, who can step off both feet. He's, he's a great open field runner. So, I think there's a real legitimacy in doing it. It makes us a very interesting team. That was always my my thinking on on Carberry last year when he played 15 so much for for Leinster, and people were saying, "Oh, he's not playing at 10. We'll have to send him up to Ulster," which just didn't make a lick of sense to me, and it still doesn't. Um, you know, it's valid. Him playing 15 is a very different look than any other Irish international. 15 has had ever it's a completely different look he's not really a, uh, a a typical back three player he's very much a second receiver in the 15 jersey what about um poor old jordan larmer though playing at number 15 where's he going to get his game otherwise <laughs> i believe it's pronounced lamour <laughs> 
Karma's a winger. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Rob Carney would have you know as well. Uh, definitely a winger. No, I, I don't know. You know, there's there's no reason why they couldn't switch, uh, you know, on field in a pendulum, so that sometimes Larmer is is in the middle of the pitch, uh, and sometimes he's on a wing. Um, and again, that's something which, if they play together a lot, it's something which can be very very successfully done. The other thing about playing uh, Carberry as as a second receiver is it means you can you can put him on one side of a rook and you can push uh, Sexton on the other side, and because the way most teams defend with they play that hard press, they blitz up in the middle of the pitch. Uh, there's a lot of line speed and a lot of a lot of teams will if if they get a, a guy in at first receiver who's a forward. Um, they look to, to bomb up on him and catch him behind the gain line, put him down, and then compete in that rook. And that, that's your turnover opportunity. I mean, I'm thinking mainly of England. The other part of that defence is that you keep your tight five forwards as close to the breakdown as possible so they don't get exposed or you hide them on the blind side. So if you've got, if you've got a guy who can... If you've got a receiver who can stand on either side, you can start attacking that blind side because that's where the weakness is in that defence. The other weakness is uh, the kick. And... Carberry's a good kicking option. I think that was that was part of the the thing with Ireland is that we did keep the ball. We hardly ever put them in the corner, which is unusual from an Irish team, and it's not as easy as it sounds. But one of one of the truisms, and I suppose one of the we renamed the pockets. Good good players can play well in different ways, um, and good teams can play well in different ways. And if you look at the amount of tries that the Kiwis have scored over the last two seasons, with the little chips through. That's something that they work on and their entire midfield works on that and they're giving it as a work on and they know it's going to happen. And even against France uh, in November time, I think they scored, they definitely scored one of their first tries. They might have scored two of their first three tries with little chips through when the French were coming off the line and it just took the pin, it just stuck a pin in France and took all the air out mm-hmm. of them. So like Bundy's not a great kicker, Rob's not a great, neither Henshaw nor Carney are really good with just threading the ball through because it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Carberry has the football to do it. Uh, whether he's you know successfully done it yet, um, I don't know. But he, he has the capacity to do it. The other thing as well about um, about size and, and backline size is that there are fewer there are fewer big centres now than there used to be. Um, I was just thinking about the. Like Hadley Parks is, is a big guy, but he's not Jamie Roberts. Scott Williams is big, but he's not as big as JJV Davies. Um, England picked Theo and then didn't really stick with him. And they moved in John and Joseph, Farrell and Joseph. Like they're neither small guys, but they're not huge guys. It's not, you know, it's not Yannick Josie on you know, or that legendary Scott guy, Brendan the Chainsaw Laney. Scourge of Gordon Darcy. Uh, and then you know Matthew Bastro isn't there anymore. Scourge of Brian O'Driscoll. Um, so it's it's you know you can have you can have uh, you can have smaller guys in the backline more so than you could three to four years ago. And I think that that is uh, a guy who I think uh, has been was missed a little bit. Is is Gary Ringos who's superb passer as well as he is a, a great open field runner I think for all the criticism that we're giving Ireland or 
sort of seen as underwhelming is that we have a really good front five and we've really good halfbacks and they're like if you have those two things in any team you, you can't really go that far wrong um, I thought that James Ryan's performance was uh, was just brilliant um, I thought that even the fact that he was picked by Joe was quite surprising because I see Joe as really conservative and he's a big fan of De- Devon and I thought that uh, I didn't I thought Ryan would just get run on during this Six Nations Um he gives us an additional attacking threat. I, not, not to be overcritical, but like the pop pass that he gave to Murray is reflective of the sort of game that he can play. Like when you see him play against the Japanese, who are obviously uh, a different team than the French, he made a huge amount of offloads in his uh, in his first few internationals because he has the capacity to pass the ball out of the tackle. He has the skills and he, he's got the mentality. He goes looking for it. Um, so I think he's I think he's a real addition to the team. He's technically a brilliant tackler, and it gives us a really top quality international front five with a really good front row bench uh, potentially. Although we got minced in that last scrum to give away the penalty, so um, you know. But I think Porter's coming through. Marty Moore is coming back. There's going to be a lot more competition in that tight head space next season. Aside from your call to introduce Joey Carberry at fifteen. Um, it's rumoured that the main changes will be Jack Conan in from nowhere, Devon in from the bench, Jack McGrath in from the bench, and looks like Larmo will be on uh, on the bench. Well, I'd certainly expect Larmo to come in for Fergus McFadden. It's a complete horses for courses selection. Schmidt has, has said before that they want to give Larmo a chance, and there's no better there's no better match to give somebody a chance than a home game in the Six Nations against Italy. It's a it is a big occasion because it's the Six Nations, but it's at home and it's at against a team who aren't in the top 10 in the world. So it's a relatively soft landing. With regards to Devon Toner, I thought that our mall struggled an awful lot without him. Um, Jack McGrath, Keane Healy is its not quite a toss-up this season, but over the last four years, it has clearly been a toss between two outstanding props. And um, and Jack Conan, I think, will be a really good call. Sander put in a really big performance, a really brave performance, got hit an awful lot. And even though we'll have a, a week off after the Italian match, he's, he's clearly going to be an important player for us this tournament. Conan has done, uh, Conan has done a, a lot well this season. And also looking slightly past the Six Nations, every month that goes by without any real sign from Jamie, he would make most people, including myself, more pessimistic about his future, uh, certainly as an Irish rugby player. Um, so, you know, we do need to look for a, a second out-and-out out number eight in, in case he doesn't come back I- A at all or B at the same level that he left at. I don't. I don't see what you learn about Jack Conan from seeing him play against the Italians. It, it would just reconfirm my prejudice that he's really good when you're much better than the opposition. And like, I think Jack Conan could look outstanding if we put a 30, 40 part point margin on the on the Italians. I think for the same. I'd rather see Jack O'Donoghue. <laughs> the only thing is that Jack O'Donoghue plays in the same province as the Irish number eight, so he never plays number eight. But he was. A really, really good number eight at under twenties, 
and Schmidt likes him because he's picked him. Uh, he's, he's given him his debut. He's, he's picked him a number eight when he hasn't been playing there. And I just think, I think long term he offers a bit more. Um, he's I disagree. I think he's, I think he's pretty drastically undersized for a number eight. Um, you know, and I think that's sort of shown in where he's playing at the moment in in, in Munster, and that he, he plays other positions other than number eight. He's very quick over the ground. He's a very good all-round rugby player. But you know, if you if you're going to have Peter O'Mahony at six, you're going to need a big ball carrier who carries the ball twenty times a game and gets over the gain line. And at the moment, that's either Stander or Jack Conan. And you know, the other positive is you would look for Conan to challenge Stander. Like if in their head-to-heads this year, I think I think there's Conan has been. You know, I would say uh, has come out on top in both of them, and over the course of the season, and you know, it's, it's not a case of Conan playing against inferior opposition. Conan's been playing against Montpellier, playing against you know all the European teams and Leinster groups, and he's run up some really, really big numbers, numbers that that dwarf standards. You know, thirty-three defenders beaten compared to eleven. A lot of a lot of clean breaks. So uh, I think that Conan can actually exert some pressure, you know. And that's what I'd be looking for him to do. And after watching the Italians uh, last week, what do you expect from them? My take would be that uh, we'll do a lot of the same thing. Of It'll be easier to get into their 22 uh, and we'll let them give away a lot of penalties because it seems like they'll give away a lot of penalties and we'll punish them with rook or with malls in the corner and kicking over points. Looking at the Italians, um, I thought that they were like Scotland. I thought that with Conor O'Shea and Gregor Townsend coaching, that they're two two very ideological coaches that kick very little, played an awful lot of rugby in the middle of the field or in their own half, and probably don't have the the players to do it. But they've a lot of guys on they've a lot of guys who weren't playing for one reason or another. Both teams with a lot of international experience. So I think that O'Shea and Townsend have, have really gone out to, to put their own stamp on it. And it's one of the, the questions that you always ask about a coach is that, do you bring your belief and then try to mold your team to play that way? Or do you play in a style that best suits the players that you have? And I would contend at the moment that they're both doing the latter. Now, they've both had success in their careers. O'Shea won the English League with Harlequins, um, which was hardly perennial contenders and Townsend won with Glasgow and two Fijians um, and played and played brilliant rugby doing it but in international rugby when everybody's really competitive when defences are really good and all the players you're playing against you need to be able to vary it up and I think the Italian display was naive against the English um, and but in, like, England are obviously very good but I I expect us to beat the Italians by 30 or 40 points so would I I think we'll uh, score quite a lot of tries late in the game and that's what we've tended to do against them and tries late in the game counted in, in terms of your points difference every bit as much as tries early in the game we won our last two championships via points differential and both of those points differentials you could argue came against Italian sides and we'll be looking to do the same we will be looking to you know, we, we could easily throw on Carberry, 
Larmer, um, I don't know, maybe Stander, maybe Jordy Murphy on the bench, but you're looking at some very, very quick, impactful players and subs. Uh, and maybe Joe Pick, Craig Gilroy again to get another hat trick. So we both expect, we, we all expect Ireland to handsomely beat the Italians um, yeah. by maybe 30 points with Craig Gilroy scoring four tries. <laughs> Spot on. Referee blows for half time. Have to give credit to the forwards. The crowd didn't like that. Okay, so the Six Nations kicked off with a really surprising result for us, considering that some of us predicted whoa, Scotland whoa, to win whoa. in a high-scoring blowout fashion. Uh, Wales beat the piss out of Scotland and um, played like the Scarlets while doing so. Yeah. So uh, we couldn't have been any wronger if we tried. Well, only one of us was... Well, two of us were wrong, but one of us was right. Uh, and I have to say that... Gatland was uh, I consistently underestimate Gatland even even though I think he's even though I think he's good I think I underestimate because I don't really like him um, but the the Scarlets of oh, Wales were were outstanding even minus Ty Byrne and, and Johnny Barkley um, I just did not I did not see that coming at all I think Scotland didn't do themselves any help by trying to play the amount of rugby that they did in their own half. I think that Gatland, I think, is a very good selector. As I mentioned last week, he's he's very good at picking guys who are on the up, who have, who've got confidence. He's, he's able to bring fellas in at the right time. Um, and I think he's... I think he's kind of strategically pretty limited and I think the criticism of Warren Ball is justified and if you look at Wales' record um, against Southern Hemisphere teams it's it's dreadful for how good they for the amount of good players that they have but I think tactically he's actually pretty smart and I think one of the things that Wales just chipped the ball over Scotland an awful lot so it bounced in front of Hogg but they didn't kick it to Hogg they didn't give Hogg an opportunity to get into a stride they made him come onto the ball and they made it competitive for him and they turned the Scots and they they kept the ball well when, when they were down at the 22, but the, Wales played far more of the rugby in, this, in 30, 40 metres from the Scottish line and just, and just turned the Scots, whereas the Scots tried to play all their rugby 60 yeah. metres away from the Welsh line. I think that's a, a really, really good point, even just the, the choice of words, playing all the rugby, or they tried to play too much rugby in the wrong places. Like, as we say fairly regularly, there's a huge amount of ways to play rugby, and running the ball is one of them. Uh, and there's there's a lot of other ways to play it as well. You know, you can maul, you can play the game that Ireland played, which is a lot of rocking. You can kick for position. You can just kick a lot of contestables. You pigeonhole yourself intentionally and in playing one way, and you can't play another way, or you choose not to play another way. You're limiting yourself as a team. Um, you know, Ireland and, and, and Scotland were possibly diametric opposites in how they performed. One did the conservative thing 85% of the time, and one did the unconservative or reckless thing 85% of the time. One decides one away from home, the other side got fucking hockeyed away from home. So, 
conservatism isn't always a bad option. When it works, conservatism is pragmatism. As well as that, like, Townsend picked a very inexperienced team to go down and play in a way match. He picked nearly half his team are in single-digit starts. Um, he's got a number of guys who, for one reason or another, he didn't pick, who would have brought a wealth of experience. And as commented on there, he, he encourages guys to take risks. And it's, it, it's a tricky one because people talk about risks when they go off and they go, oh, he's a risk-taker. But part of the problem, with, part of the issue with taking risks is that the more likely to go wrong, and it it just it went pretty dismally wrong for the Scots. And the amount of the amount of fifty fifty balls they threw that didn't stick, and the amount of ill advised passes that they attempted to make when they were chasing the game, um, backfired backfired really badly. And it, I think it, see, it's gotten really interesting for us because they're in our pool in the World Cup, and. I would prefer to play them under Gregor Townsend than I would under Vern Cotter because in the balance of probability, you're going to play an easier match against a Townsend team. Now, they can go out and scorch it because they will take those chances and everything might stick, but I would prefer to play a Townsend coach team than a Cotter coach team and a Cotter selected team. Do you think in the long run, Scotland will learn a lot from this or do you think they're going to go into every game they... uh, do you think they're going to go into every game thinking they're playing against 14 knackered Aussies? I don't think that they will learn a lot from it. I think they'll learn... They'll, there will definitely be some things that they take from it, but uh, I think that Gregor Townsend has the courage of his convictions or Slash is a, a slave to his convictions and that they'll continue to try and play the same way. Um, th- they were, you know, there was also parts of the game where they were a little bit unlucky. But I, I don't really see Gregor Townsend parking the bus the next time he, you know, for example, when Ireland, uh, when Ireland hosts Scotland. I think they, they might learn from it if he keeps on picking the same players. The question is, are the players that started on Saturday going to be good enough to sustain a challenge in international rugby? Because as I, as I said, Scotland have a number of guys who are in their 20s who and, and Laidlaw, who's 32, um, and who came on off the bench, who are available to play, who have more, who have almost as many caps as what started on uh, Saturday. And I think that um, jettisoning those guys means that all that experience that idea of learning, that's gone out the window. I think on the flip side of that, Gatlin didn't Gatlin had a number of guys with single digits and a number of very experienced guys, but Wales were scintillating. Um they looked really sharp, they've good habits. Um they've a number of guys in form, like Patchell's in form, Scott Evans is in form, Hadley Parks is in form. Shingler's in form. Josh Navidi's been good for years and I really like him. I think he's stepped up well. Um, Alwyn Jones played and I guess the criticism you'd have of Wales is that they can put away teams worse than them but they can't step up and play teams better than them. I think the problem for Ireland is that uh, they're really on a par with us and it's a match that we sort of think... There's a lot of talk about the Grand Slam but I think Ireland-Wales is the, the most natural match-off certainly from Ireland's point of view and arguably in the Six Nations I absolutely agree we think we're slightly better than them they think they're slightly better than us and we're both convinced of our, our positions um, and 
realistically, I think it's between Gatland and Schmidt, I think, in, in terms of competitive fixtures, not World Cup warm-ups and things. Uh, I think it's played for one win to Schmidt, two wins to Gatland, and a draw. We'll have to check that. I think that's it in the Six Nations, though. Yeah, like, Gaddy didn't play, he didn't coach that team last year in Cardiff. Oh, but, sorry, you're absolutely right. But, I mean, it's his team. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd put it together, he'd picked it, and I doubt Howley doesn't consult him. And anyway, Wales started pretty much the entire same 15 for all of their Six Nations matches um, last year. I think, as well, though, from, like, we're playing them at home. I think Scotland, Scotland in Murrayfield are a different beast than Scotland on the road. Scotland on the road are dreadful. And that goes back to the experience thing. They just don't know how to win. And pragmatically speaking, they'd be better off winning a match against Ireland or even against England, which is hard to see it, or against Wales away, um, than trying to play rugby the right way, whatever that is. Um, I think from our point of view, Wales have to travel to Twickenham which is a really hard ask. But I think like if Wales ever beat England in the Six Nations, they get their tails up. And they win the Grand Slam. And they win the Grand Slam. They take so much from that fixture. It's just incredible. If they beat England, we're goosed. Yeah, like they will come over, they'll, they'll bring 10,000 extra supporters and they will just believe that they can turn us over. That said, they're playing England and Twickenham. So that is, that is good for us because it makes it far less likely that they will turn them over. Scotland are hosting France on Sunday. Um, do you think we're going to see an era where um, playing the French away first up is going to be like, oh no, why do you go to Rome on the first weekend? And it'll be like quite a different looking team now. Next week it'll be when they go away on the road, they won't be nearly as good and they'll be a bit more tired after like putting in that big effort against Ireland. I think they will be tired after putting in a big effort. They put in a huge defensive effort um, and, they f- and they fucking lost and they got ripped from their hands at the last moment. It has to be massively dispiriting. Uh, it, you know, this was only uh, Brunel's first game in charge, so it's very difficult to know uh, how they will react. You know, and they had so little ball against us that it's difficult to know what sort of attacking shape they have. And they've lost Jalabert, they're starting 10. So, again, it all just depends on which France show up. France didn't, France didn't really throw a punch from structure play. Like there, there was nothing coached in their attack that suggested uh, a platform of which to, to build. I think... The easiest thing to do and the first thing to do as a coach is get your defence right. And uh, he, he undoubtedly did that. Um, I thought the selection of camera at seven gives them like a really good line-out operator on the opposition throw. And he, he constantly went up and down the line and put pressure and, and didn't allow us to sort of get a platform. But like we're saying that France played really well because we didn't beat them by that much and it took a last minute drop goal, but they, they didn't create anything. Um, and of course they have snatches of brilliance and of course they like, they have really, really quick wings who can score tries. So it's, it's, it's different going up to Scotland. Like they should, he should just pick the same team as much as he can and see if they can win a match somewhere because that'll, that'll give them confidence. I mean, I said it last week that the, the problem with France is that it's just a revolving door. 
um, in terms of selection. So I actually had a look at this, the amount of caps that the French have. That French team that played against us had 169 starts with another 77 on the bench. Um, the English team, so coming from a big country with a lot of talent, England had 579 starts with another 138 on the bench. So as, as fascinating as all of those bare numbers are, you look at the English team that Stuart Lancaster put together, and Eddie Jones hasn't really changed that much. He's obviously put the two guys in the middle of the park. He's brought in Otoje. But England are light years ahead of France. And England look really coherent about what they're trying to do. And the guys that come off the bench have caps. Um, like a player like Ben Youngs goes down and another guy like Danny Kerr, who's a veteran, he comes in. They're also bringing in Wigglesworth, uh, who's 34. It's not a strange selection, do you think, as now that uh, Ben Youngs is injured? I think that Eddie Jones has been around so long that he is pragmatic. I, I think that Eddie Jones probably reinvented himself. Well, I've, I've seen it written about Eddie Jones and I'd have to agree that he has done it. Is that the criticism of Eddie Jones when he was coming from the Brumbies into Australia, succeeding Rob McQueen, was that he was too structured and he took all of the, the sort of the joy out of the, the sort of the, and he's a Randwick guy, so he sort of took the Randwick style out of, out of the Australians. Um... Whereas now, and you no loops, you see him on, <laughs> you see him, um, no singing at riff on the tables after a skinful. <laughs> All things that make the game <laughs> what it is. Embassy grill, mate. Um, that when you see him sort of doing his coaching things on the rugby side, is he's just about like really small environments. He's about the chaos of the match. He's about reacting to that chaos. I think he he keeps the English guys on their toes. Um, and I think, like he, he, he just picked an enormous English team. He picked Courtney no. Laws at six. I think he picks an enormous pack. You know, an apart from pack, apart yeah. from Teo, the the backline isn't isn't a, a massive backline. So, yeah, exactly. So he does. He picks. Uh, he picks a huge. He picks a huge pack. But part of that is like they're not very good on the ground. Uh, Maro Toje is really energetic and he gives you 80 minutes and he, he comes off the line very quickly and but they, they sort of pick and choose their times to go in like the Italians played an awful lot in front of the English and the English didn't look to turn them over that much but weren't put under that much pressure that said like the Italians got a few line breaks and I think against England if you move the ball and if you move their defenders it's just not in the English rugby psyche to uh, to be nimble that they are they are a bludgeon and it makes them very difficult to beat. But that said, they're so big, there's such a strong line out. Like any team playing in the championship is going to struggle to get good ball against them because their scrum is solid, their line out's enormous, they're well organised in defence, and there's a lot of cohesiveness because those units have just played together so much. Um and they've they've different skills, you know, so um, I don't. I don't know what we're going to see from France against uh, Scotland. Um, it's it's the next question of Brunel. Is you know can he can he get them to attack? Um, I think to do that he has to keep on picking as many of the same players as he possibly can. And I I don't know how good a passing midfield he has with Chavonchi and Lamara and I presume Bello. So in summation, we you expect France and Scotland to both basically because they're rebuilding basically just go again and see where it gets them I do I do expect them to go again in a similar vein I, I think it um, 
I think if you're on the road, it's more likely that you'll put in an extremely tough and diligent performance. Uh, the kind that they were forced to put, France were forced to put in against Ireland while they were playing at home. Um, and with Scotland, they will, I don't think that one loss is going to cow Gregor Townsend. And I think that they will go out and try and play exactly the same way as they played against Wales. Yeah, I completely agree. Townsend's going to get them firing. He's got a lot of credit in the bank with the Glasgow win, the fact that he's Scottish rather than an overseas coach and um, the the shellacking of Australia. Like, putting 50 points past Australia and getting a win, that from that that's a brilliant result for him. And he'll, he'll get a lot of credit out of that. Um, so then, looking at the Grand Slam decider in Twickenham, um, how much of an effort, how much of a fight do you think this uh, somewhat inexperienced Welsh team can really launch uh, playing hot potato seedier pants rugby that I described last week in Twickenham Shingler's a good line operator Alwyn Jones is I think that they might struggle to get as much ball as they'll want um, given you know, Laws of Toje, Launchbury, Rob Shaw against them. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how pragmatic England are. What I mean by that is if, if England get penalties and build up a 12-point lead without trying to chase tries, without trying to play an ideological way, like Eddie, to go back, like Eddie Jones brought Wigglesworth in, he just wants to win. Like they, he's, he's lost one match. To, he's... And he just knows winning is is the best thing you can do for a team. Um, I think in that mind, I mean, God, I don't fancy Ireland going to Twickenham. I don't fancy anybody going to Twickenham. Um, Not that England necessarily are always going to cut loose, but they're going to be so difficult to beat there. Absolutely. The other thing which uh, struck me was that Wales and England had that open scrummaging session against each other a number of months ago. And I think at the time that England really pushed them around quite a lot. And I could see that happening again. I think that, you know, they didn't get a huge amount of of traction against Italy. But I think that that English front five is extremely powerful. Um, And they've got some very, very good subs on the bench. You know, Jamie George, George Cruz. Uh, fucking love George Chris <laughs> <laughs> again that other little fella they brought on Audrey Hepburn from Exeter um, so I think that I think that England could be very very dogmatic and and it might depend on some sort of weather conditions as well if the they don't have a roof in Twickenham uh, if it's raining uh, it changes the nature of the game You've mentioned the line-out quite a few times. Why do you think that is so pivotal for England by comparison to, say, the scrum, which, like, generates far more penalties, which means territory and points? That is a good question. Um, I think it's a good question for two reasons. I think the reason that the line-out is so important is it's contestable. So, whereas the scrum... 
I mean, you really, the way the ball can be put in, you really should just win your own scrum. There is an opportunity to put team under, but like if, you, if you're noticeably better, but you, you're sort of waiting on the ref to, to give you something. And that kind of depends on the particular guy refing it. I think the line out, um, even if the team wins it, like technically on the stats, if they knock it back on their own side, that goes down as a win, but there's there's different quality of ball. Like if you have to throw to the front all the time, it really limits your attack. If you throw it to the back and you slap it back and it bounces in front of your scrum half, uh, that counts as a win. But they're, it's it's not the same as, as being able to ping one of four different guys up and down the line and, and just pop it down to your scrum half or set up a mall or set, set up a dummy mall. So that's why I'd be so big on the line. The interesting mm. thing about the way that the English... With with all the guys that they have in the line, it is they kept all their uh, clearance kicks in in the field of play. So they just boot it up in the air. Um, they kick it to around the halfway line. They put a chase on it, and they just invite the other team to to play into them. So they, they certainly weren't looking to give the um, the what the the Italians a set piece opportunity. Whether that would have made a difference, it's not. It's not going to make a difference in England, Italy. Um, will they do the same against the Welsh? I'd be interested to see because um, they don't have. If they pick Robshaw ahead of Underhill, or if they pick, um, you know, basically whoever they, Underhill's their scavenger. Um, so if they pick him, they're going to put more pressure on the ground. They don't really compete that much in the rooks. They just fan out across the pitch. Yeah, I noticed that a lot. I thought it was strange considering how much we saw France. Uh, constantly compete at nearly every work time and I think also in the Pro 14 we're used to seeing Glasgow and Clenetley, uh and the Ospreys certainly used to play like that as well um, all the time every rook you'd, you had to protect the ball whereas against Italy it was just like yeah you can have the ball we'll just be massive out here I think by fanning out like that allows them reorganise and get their defensive line speed you know Gustav is very very pushy on that that Oh, quick line speed uh, so I think they rely on that Eddie Jones has also been very vocal about how England are a very fit side so that would lead somewhat to keeping the ball in play and allowing that quick line speed quick chase to come up with a very fit team and, and put a slightly less fit team under pressure both mentally and physically getting back to the line outs and scrums question I think teams which have a good scrum tend to make penalties out of scrums and teams which have a good line have a more wide-ranging way to approach the game. You're not automatically going to get a penalty because you have a good line-out, but you can change how you attack with, uh, with great variety. Um, and I think that England have two very good set-pieces. You know, Dylan Hartley's nobody's favourite in this room, but he's a good thrower. Jamie George is a good thrower. And then they've got good line-out jumpers in second and back rows. So I'm not sure that, that Wales can exert any dominance or even equivalence in either set-piece. And while England and Wales were quite evenly matched last season, that was in, in Cardiff. And playing a trick was a big difference. Italy found, surprisingly, uh, or found a surprising amount of line breaks. And in particular, there were a couple of ones that were set off by nice offloads and like we saw Wales do a lot of that uh, on, on Saturday do you think uh, they'll have 
Do you think they'll, they'll find it effective, like making line breaks against England, piercing that line, throwing the ball out of tackles, or do you think it's a bit of a, you know, playing against England and tweaking them? I think they will. I think it's the way to attack against England. I think that the Scarlets, partly confidence and partly what they train to do, um, that they, I hope they have a go at, at trying to do it. Um, it's very good to watch, but I think it's just, it's going to be effective against the English. And like going back again, this, I don't want to contra- I don't want to sound like I'm contradicting myself by going, oh, the Scots got it completely wrong by by trying these 50-50 passes that didn't stick and then encouraging the Welsh to go to Twickenham and do that. But I think you just do, you have to vary it up. You have to, like you're not going to, I don't think you're going to beat England. You're certainly not going to beat them in Twickenham by going through 30 phases of just trying to smash into them because all their forwards are huge and they're not going to give you any penalties because they don't really bother competing. And eventually you'll just get tired and you'll turn the ball over. Or, and, and you know, their bench is strong and, and they've good kickers. So I think that's what Wales have to do, among other things. I mean, Patchell, Patchell varies his kicking game well. Mm-hmm. So here comes some heroically bad predictions. Uh, Ireland 44, Italy 12. <laughs> I would go along with that. Yeah, I and that's probably a really good prediction. <laughs> Um, England 24 Wales 15 I think it'll probably be a bit bigger but not much I think like 26-12 27-12 to England yeah I could see it being a little bit closer Um, 22-16 Scotland, Scotland, France is the unknowable. Why not? Do you want to lead toss off? Up. <laughs> Scotland, yeah. France, score draw. <laughs> uh, three all draw. <laughs> Scotland, France. Um, I feel like um, you know it has basically got the potential to be an absolute stinker in the way that some of those Sunday games are, but it also uh, has the potential to be like Scotland. Going back to trying to do what they did last time again, uh, France feeling like France having some of the ball and and trying a lot more stuff than they could against us, and players like Teddy Thomas shining in in that situation where there's like space and a bit of chaos, and uh, everyone having a having a grand old time and enjoying their Sunday. Don't be tea. having a grand old time on Sunday. Sunday Sunday puts such a dumper in the match. Um, those cannons might scare off the French lads at the start. <laughs> um, let's say France, fucking hell, France 24, Scotland 25. No, Scotland 25, France 24. I'm going to say 1816 to Scotland, um, but could go the other way. <laughs> exactly the same score. I don't. You, you don't want to be the team that loses this match. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think Scotland will win. I think uh, it'll actually set them up quite well for the second half of the Six Nations. And last question: How many tries will Craig Gilroy score? <laughs> <laughs> if he gets five minutes, he gets five tries. <laughs> Sean.